0: Good morning, Journey Church. I want to say good morning to everyone watching online or watching sometime this week or listening. We're glad you're with us. We are in a series called No Other Gods. And if you weren't here last week, we'll bring you up to speed. Last week we looked at Exodus chapter 20. And in Exodus chapter 20, the nation of Israel, which is just this fledgling, like a group of people, have been in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. And God had miraculously delivered them through the leadership of Moses. And now here is this nation that... um, you know, really still has a slavery mindset, and a uh, 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 scarcity, uh, uh, insecurity-like mindset. And so God introduces himself to the people of Israel in Exodus chapter 20 and gives them some parameters, some guardrails, because they have no laws, they have no regulations as a nation. And this is where we find the Ten Commandments that, that many of you are familiar with. But before God gives the commandments, he introduces himself. He says, I am the Lord your God. I am Yahweh. He, he gives A proper name of himself, and he says, I am the Lord your God who freed you from the land of Egypt, the place of slavery. And then, before again, before he's trying to establish the rules or the regulations, he's saying, This is who I am, this is the relationship, this is what I have done for you. And then he goes on, he says, So you must not have any other God but me, you must not make for yourself an idol or an image of anything. And so what we're doing in the month of November is just kind of going back to that first and second commandment and asking the question, are there idols in our lives? And for most of us, we would think, well, no, to chant there aren't any idols in my life like last time I looked in my house I don't have any statues sitting on a shelf we don't gather together as a family and burn candles and incense and all bow and kneel at the same time to some object of some sacred you know image in our home like we don't have any idols and yet what we talked about last week is that every single one of us has a throne in the inner being of our lives Everybody in this room, whether you consider yourself to be a Christian or whether you are still kicking the tires and trying to figure out what you believe about God or the Bible or maybe you've already established in your mind that you're an atheist or an agnostic or, or Hindu or Buddhist, whatever it is, like every single one of us have a throne in the inner being of our lives and someone or something or some ambition is going to sit in that throne. And what we established last week is that God alone must sit on that throne if we are going to to experience the freedom that God has for us if we're going to flourish as God has designed for us God alone must sit on the throne in fact I'm going to ask you to say that with me this little pithy statement would you say this with me God alone must sit on the throne God alone must sit on the throne and so what we're going to be doing over the rest of the month of November is looking at particularly the Old Testament to look at some case studies where we learn how God kind of intrudes in the lives of individuals to help them understand that God alone must sit on the throne. And so today we're going to be in Daniel chapter 2 and I invite you to turn in your Bibles. Our whole sermon will be from Daniel chapter 2 and then Daniel chapter 4. But as you're turning in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2, um, I'm, I'm dating myself. I'm a child of the '80s. Any other '80s kids in here? And so uh, this was hundred years ago, Carter, uh, in the front row, Carter. A uh, hundred years ago, uh, we didn't have iPhones. We didn't have tablets, we didn't have flat screens. In fact, the 80s kids will remember in school the delight and joy when the AV cart was brought into your classroom. You're like, today is going to be a great day, right? And in and, and church world, in Sunday school VBS, we had this wonderful technology. This is going to blow your guys' mind. Austin, you're going to love this. We had this wonderful technology. Some of you will remember this in church world. It was a technology called the flannel graph. Yeah, come on, somebody. Let's hear some excitement for the flannel graph. And so to help help illustrate this morning's sermon, because I want to make sure everyone's with us, we will be alluding to this great, grand technology behind me. So the story is in Daniel chapter 2, just so you know the timeline of where this fits in with the rest of the story of the Bible. This is about 600 years before the birth of Jesus. This is long after Moses, long after the judges, long after even King David and King Saul. The nation of Israel, after King Solomon's reign, had been divided into two nations. It was the northern kingdom, which continued to be called Israel, and then the southern kingdom, which was called Judea. No, what? Judah. Why am I? Thank you. I'm so glad Jim's in the room to help me out. The rest of you are just looking at me like, what is his problem? Like, see, having a health issue up there? <laughs> Judah. I just got stuck with Judea. Judah. Southern kingdom was Judah and Jerusalem was in Judah. And And the northern kingdom didn't have one righteous king. The whole time of the northern kingdom, it wasn't one righteous king. They were all idolaters. They all would, um, you know, build and uh, establish idolatry throughout the nation. And so God judges the northern kingdom by bringing the Assyrian empire. The Assyrians come in and and ravage the land of the northern kingdom and and assimilate the the Israelites who lived in the northern kingdom into Assyria. And I know some of you are like, when's this history lesson going to end? But it's just a little bit more to it. And so the southern kingdom continued to go because the southern kingdom, God would establish a righteous king would come in who would get rid of all the idols and we're going to serve the one true God and we love Jesus. Yes, we do. Well, Jesus wasn't born yet, but we, we're getting to love Jesus soon and all this. And, and they're getting rid of all the idols and and then <laughs> it's just going to be a great morning. And, uh, and, 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 and so... The, But then following them would come a king who would set up the idols again and even set up idols in the temple in Jerusalem. And and so God finally has enough of even the southern kingdom. And, And there was another world empire that was emerging called the Babylonian Empire. And the Babylonian Empire would become really the first of the great empires of this world. Way, I mean, way more significant than the Assyrians. And the Babylonians come in and they defeat Jerusalem, tear down the walls. They crush the temple, which was the, the place of God's dwelling. And, 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 and they take a bunch of the leading, uh, educated Jews and bring them to Babylon. And, and so here in, in our first image on this great flannel graph is a king. And this is King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar, every historian would agree, is at this point the most powerful man on earth. He has all the wealth. He has, all the, he has everything at his disposal. He can say one word and a whole cities will be demolished and killed. This guy has so much power. And yet Daniel chapter 2 verse 1 says that he was terrified. I've come to understand in my own experiences that sometimes the most powerful people are the most insecure fearful people have you ever met someone like that have you ever worked for somebody like that or maybe you went to school and someone in the room was instructing you someone like that we can't conceive of that in this country of having a governor or a president who would uh, be riddled with fear and insecurities but um, it happens it happens and so Nebuchadnezzar is riddled with insecurities and he has this dream and this dream just, this isn't like any other dream, it's so vivid, he doesn't forget it, it stands out, and it racks him with just fear and insecurity. And so he calls in all the educated people in his kingdom, all the people with PhDs, and, and, and we would call it, in his day, these were the magicians and the astrologers. And he calls them in, and he says, I had this dream, and it's freaking me out, and I need you to tell me what this dream means. And they did what you would do. They said, oh, great, wise king, tell us the dream. And then we will figure out or make up an interpretation. And then you will be appeased and all will be well. And he says, no, I'm not playing your game. I'm not going to tell you to dream. I will know that you actually have the interpretation of my dream when you tell me what I dreamed. And then follow it up with an interpretation. And these guys start wigging out, right? Because they don't have the ability to do that. Nobody in this room has the ability to do that. And so... The Nebuchadnezzar, and this is a Kendi Chan translation, you won't find this in the Bible, he just goes irate, like berserk irate. He's throwing things, he's cussing, he's swearing, and finally brings in the commander of his armies and he says, all of these so-called wise people in my kingdom, I want them dead. Kill them all. And so there's a guy in the Babylonian Empire who is actually a Jewish young man, probably in his late teens, and his name's Daniel. How many of you learned about Daniel growing up? Daniel in the Lion's Den. Maybe you've heard different stories about Daniel. And Daniel is a righteous young man. Daniel is a god fearer. Daniel has established that God alone sits in the throne of his life. And Daniel refused to cowtail to and to and to bow to the idols of the Babylonian Empire. And, and so Daniel hears a knock on the door from the commander of the Babylonian armies, and he opens the door, and he's on a friendly basis with the commander. The commander says, hey, Daniel, how are you doing? And Daniel says, oh, I'm doing pretty good. And he goes, well, i got to kill you today, Daniel. Daniel goes, what? Why are you killing me? And he goes, well, there was this thing that happened in the palace. I know you weren't part of it, but the king's mad, and so all the wise men in the kingdom are getting killed today. And Daniel goes, come on, man. You can't do that. And he goes, can you, can you wait until tomorrow to kill me? Give me a night to pray. I mean, this is in the Bible. You guys should read your Bibles. It's crazy. He goes, can you give me a night to pray? And so they're in friendly terms. He says, yes, absolutely, I'll give you a night. And So Daniel gra- grabs, he's got several friends that are also Jewish and followers of the one true God. And he says, hey, guys, this is serious. This is legit. Like, we have got to pray. And they start praying and fasting. And they seek God in their and they're interceding. God, you've got to show us what was the dream. We need to understand the dream. And so God does. That night, he downloads it into, into Daniel's memory and gives him the interpretation. That, and so, Daniel, first thing in the morning, books it to the palace. And I'm sure there's guards saying, Hey, you can't come in here. Who do you think you are? And he goes, No, I got it. Like, I, 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 know, I know the dream, I know the interpretation. He comes in and he stands before the king. This is Daniel, by the way. I've been negligent in putting my flannel pieces up here so far in the story. You guys have been waiting got this great flannel graph behind me and you're like, when are we going to see some people? This is Daniel and Daniel stands before the king and he goes, I know the dream, the dream in your dream you saw this huge, massive statue of a mighty, strong man made out of precious metals. And the head was made out of gold and the chest and the arms were made out of silver and the belly and the thighs were made out of steel and, and the legs were made out of ore and, and the, the feet were made out of clay and and, and and ore. and 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 he goes, and in this dream, you saw a rock and the rock wasn't quarried by man. This was a God-formed rock that struck the statue and struck its feet and the feet crumbled and, and from there the whole statue toppled over and the whole thing became like dust and the wind blew and it was as if the statue had never existed. But the rock that hit the statue began to grow and become more and more massive and eventually became like a mountain that covered the entire earth. And Nebuchadnezzar, I can just see, is sitting there like mouth totally open. Like, like you got every detail right. Like that is whacked. How do you know? Like what's going on? And Daniel says, here's the interpretation. Oh, majesty, <laughs> your kingdom is temporary. God has put you in the position that you're in, but it's a temporary assignment. And one day there will be another empire to follow you. And then there will be another empire to follow that and another empire. And eventually all the empires of the earth will crumble. But there will be one kingdom that will last for eternity. It's, this kingdom will never end. It will go on and on. And this kingdom will be formed out of not a man-made quarried rock, but a God-formed rock that will grow and grow and become so expansive. What an incredible dream, right? Right? And Nebuchadnezzar is like, I mean, he is wigging out, he is freaking out, he throws himself to the feet of Daniel, and he says this, this is verse 47, the king said to Daniel, truly your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this secret. We're going to go on with the story in a moment, so don't close your Bibles. But, but here's the thing that I've, I've found to be true. And at first glance when I say this, probably it's not going to resonate. And you're going to be like, Ken, I don't think that that's true of me. But I think here's the thing. I think we all crave power. And probably the chances, I'm, I know I'm going to disappoint you, probably none of you will end up becoming an emperor of the world. As much as some of you want to be YouTube stars, probably nobody in this room is going to end up having a global platform. I mean, I hope you do. That would be great. But probably it's not going to be true. And so we look at the story of of Nebuchadnezzar, and we look at our lives, and we say, there's no connection. The connection is that every single one of us crave power. In our own domain, with whatever responsibilities we have, we all crave power. And to some degree, this can be healthy Listen, it's healthy to want to do well at what you do. It's healthy to want to be smart and to be intelligent. It's healthy to have a drive and ambition to to make the place where you're at better, to make your family better, to make, you, to make your, your education better. It, it's, but, but there's this thing inside of all of us where it goes from a healthy thing, if unchecked, to becoming a thing where... I want to be over others for the sake of being over others. Not to benefit anybody, but just so I can be over others. I want to be the smartest person in the room. I want to show others that I know what's going on at all times. And maybe it's in its infancy, this is the, the, the bully in the cafeteria in middle school. But then it, it becomes this thing where, like, all you think about is being the assistant to the manager. Like, I want to be the person in charge. I want to be large. And in this dream, Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, in in one moment, God gives Nebuchadnezzar an opportunity and a warning. That he needed to change his view of God, and he needed to change how he viewed power. Here we have the most powerful man, and I don't have the image of it, so we can just kind of, (laughs) he falls to his knees and he starts acknowledging, I know, That's the power of flannel graph. I can even move them upside down if I want to. It's so awesome. He falls to his knees and he recognizes that Daniel's God is the only true God. See, what you believe about God impacts every other part of your life. I'm gonna pause and just ask you a moment, ask you a question. How do you view God? Who is God to you? Do do you have an understanding of the biblical view of God or have you shaped God into your own image? If you put God into a box of your own making, how do you see him? And here's the interesting thing about this story. And we'll put Nebuchadnezzar right side up because I'm OCD and that's going to really bother me. Nebuchadnezzar, in this moment, has a supernatural encounter. I mean, really, this was a divine dream. God gave him this dream. And God gave Daniel the power to know the dream and to interpret the dream. Think of, think of how supernatural this whole moment is. And he has this moment, he falls to his knees, and your God is the greatest, your God is the best, I'm going to serve your God. But here's what we understand from Scripture, it's a fleeting thing. Some of you in this room, you've had like these divine moments, these moments of encountering God. And maybe you even had emotions. Maybe you even shed some tears. And maybe even, I will never be the same again. I can never return. I've closed the door. I'm singing an 80s worship ballad. Half the room, three-fourths, nine-tenths of the room. had no idea what that song was. That's all right. We have this moment, I'm, I, now my life is going to be forever changed. I've had this encounter. Everything's going to be different. Can I just tell you, it was not different for Nebuchadnezzar. It was skin deep, but it didn't affect his heart. He didn't change the idol on the throne of his heart. For a moment, he said all the right things, and he, he gave off all the right emotions, but it didn't last. In fact, later on in chapter 4, we find out that he's still oppressing people, particularly he's oppressing the poor. And while he was starting to know more truth about God, his heart still wasn't being changed. So what does God do? God gives him another dream. In fact, if you turn in your Bibles now to chapter 4, we'll see the second dream. And in the second dream, in chapter 4, he's given a vision of this expansively large, like no it's nowhere near a natural tree, but this is, this is a huge tree. How many of you have ever been to Disney's Animal Kingdom? Anybody ever been to Animal Kingdom? Like in my mind, I think of this. I'm such a great dad that I've been to Animal Kingdom, but none of my kids have. It's a great, great thing. Yeah, uh, it's a my kids love to tell remind me of that. Uh, someday, we're gonna get there. Animal Kingdom, if you've ever been to Animal Kingdom, they have this huge, it's not real. Disney, nothing, you know, it's like but they have this huge tree that's like the centerpiece of the whole theme park of Animal Kingdom and this is in my mind this is what I think of when I think of this of this tree this is a huge tree massive tall I mean it is the greenest of leaves and the fruit is like the best fruit and it's massive fruit like all over the place ripe delicious to the taste and and the animals of the world come and find shade in 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 the tree and the birds nest in the tree and this is an incredible like incredible vision that he's given of this tree and all of a sudden this angel comes from this heaven or in your translation Maybe it says messenger. This messenger comes from heaven. This is in Daniel chapter 4. And the messenger says, cut down the tree. But leave the stump and the roots and put a band of iron around the stump. And then Nebuchadnezzar wakes up. And he's like, what was that dream all about? And again, it's a vivid dream. He doesn't, it's not from eating too much pizza the night before. Like he knows this God is speaking to him. So this time he knows better than calling all the wise men of the kingdom. He immediately calls, calls. Oh, some of you are still awake. All right. Just wanted to see if anybody is still tracking with me. He calls Daniel because he knows God will use Daniel. And he calls Daniel. And Daniel gives him the interpretation of this dream. And this one's a little like I would not have been able to come up with this interpretation just from the vision of the tree. This is verse 24 of Daniel chapter 4. Daniel's talking to the king, the emperor of the world, the most powerful man in the world. He says, this is what the dream means, your majesty, and what the most high has declared will happen to my lord, the king. You, oh majesty, you will be driven from human society, and you will live in the fields with the wild animals, and you will eat grass like a cow, and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way. Can you imagine Daniel, like, standing in front of the most powerful man in the world, saying, listen, you're going to be like, you're going to lose your sanity And you're going to live like an animal. And this is going to go on for seven periods of time. Until you learn, and here's the clincher here in verse 25. Until you learn that the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world. And he gives them to anyone he chooses. Here's Daniel standing in front of Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, you need to learn that the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world. And he gives them to anyone he chooses. But the stump and the roots of the tree were left in the ground. But this means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that, and this time he says it in just two words, until you learn that heaven rules. See, Your Majesty, you think that you rule. You think you're calling the shots. You think that all of this exists because of your great intellect and because of your might and how awesome you are. But you need to get something, your majesty heaven rules the most high rules over everything that exists over the nations of the world and he gives them to anyone that he wants verse 27 king nebuchadnezzar please accept my advice and i can just in my mind as i read this in in, in daniel i just see daniel just like pleading please accept my advice stop sinning and do what is right break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. I, I, in my mind, I just hear Daniel talking to Nebuchadnezzar, and, and he's just saying, Listen, your power, the power that you have right now, that you are wielding right now, it is because of God that you have this power. And if De- Nebuchadnezzar, if you, your sir, majesty, if you ever really got this, you would be so much more at peace. You would have so much more security and humility you'd be so much more relaxed if you would just treat others with justice and mercy and see how great God is and see your role in the story in a right way. So the king heard all of this and you think, I mean, if you you first had the dream before and now you're having this dream, don't you think, I mean, this is like a come to Jesus moment, right? Like you're like, okay, I get it. You don't need to tell me anymore. He doesn't get it. A whole year passes by. Twelve months pass by. And we see next Nebuchadnezzar is strolling around the rooftop of one of his palaces. And he's looking out at the expanse of a city that he was the architect, that he had built, that he had, had uh, put up. And, and this is what it says uh, as he's walking around the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. Verse 30. As he looked out across the city. This is chapter 4. As he looked out of the city, he said, look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. Are you catching any key word in that whole statement? Me, my, I. Look at what I have done. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at what I've built. Look at what I'm driving. Look at what I'm wearing. Look at how much better I am. Look at how much smarter I am. Like, it, it's all about him. And you just kind of get this idea of, of just this, you know, just looking into me. Oh, like, oh, look at me. Oh, I like to look at myself. and like I mean, this is like Nebuchadnezzar is so immersed with himself in the Bible. Like, God has had enough. Verse 31, while these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, "O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with wild animals, and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn, and here's this line again. And remember, anytime a line is repeated in close proximity more than once, God's like trying to use a huge highlighter to get our attention. He says, until you learn that the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world and he gives them to anyone that he chooses. That the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world and he gives them to anyone he chooses. Would you say that line with me? The most high rules over the kingdoms of the world and he gives them to anyone he chooses. And Nebuchadnezzar loses his mind. He loses his sanity. He begins to live like an animal. The Bible gives description of his fingernails start growing out. And he, 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 he loses his mind for this, for this period of time. We pick up in verse 34, and now it's from Nebuchadnezzar's perspective. Nebuchadnezzar is now writing these words. And so we catch his perspective. In verse 34 it says, after this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. This is so key, and if you you don't catch it, you'll just read right by it. But what he's doing, he he goes from looking in the mirror, oh, me, my, look at what I've accomplished. He says, after seven years of losing my mind, I finally what? Looked up. I finally looked up. I finally stopped focusing on what I had done and stopped focusing on how awesome I am. I finally looked up. True freedom comes when we look up. I Nebuchadnezzar looked up to heaven. My sanity returned and I praised and worshipped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. Isn't it this amazing language? He's writing this. He says, I realize that his rule is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal. Do you see the shift in the language? It's not about me or my, It's about the most high and his kingdom and his rule and his, he is everlasting. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? It's a perspective change. It's a change of the occupancy of the throne of his heart. That no longer is power and ambition and pride sitting in the throne of his heart. He is now allowed for the one true God to sit in the throne of his heart. He says in verse 36, when my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored as head of my kingdom, even with greater honor than before. Here's the interesting thing. As long as we are clamoring for power and clamoring for attention and clamoring for people to acknowledge how smart we are and intelligent we are, as long as we are seeking that, do you know what we are actually diminished in the eyes of the people around us? You know this to be true. You, When you work for someone who is humble and who thinks of others as more important than himself, what does that do to you? It makes you want to follow them all the more, doesn't it? This is exactly what Nebuchadnezzar experiences. As long as he was going around trying to get the attention and trying to get all the eyes on him, man, he didn't have the respect. But as soon as he understood that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and he gives them to anyone he chooses, Nebuchadnezzar had a perspective change that I am not the star of the story. In fact, I'm only in this story for a couple pages. I'm a vapor. I'm here today and I'm gone tomorrow. The story continues, and there is one central character in this story, and his name is Jesus. And his kingdom lasts forever, and he is the most high, and he will have his way. And my life is so much more fruitful and fulfilled when I understand that I'm not the main star of the story, when I understand that he is, and I'm I'm just an extra in the story, and I'm glad to be. I'm glad to be. I find fulfillment when I recognize that. Maybe at this point in the sermon, you're thinking again, like we said earlier, Ken, I'm not a world emperor. I'm barely keeping my head above water. I mean, that was, that was an interesting story and all, and thanks for bringing back the flannel graph. But I don't have a throne. My throne doesn't look like that. Here's, here's what I found to be true. Even if we don't feel like we have personal power, we tend to idolize it in others. It's interesting, like, even if I don't have power, I idolize it in other people, people that I will never meet in my life or come to an actual relationship with in my life. And so, some of you will judge people in this room who do this with football. Some of you who like football will judge this in the people who love to get magazines or go to websites to learn about the new bat. Bachelor is that what his name is on ABC or what mega star was wearing what to walk her dog to go to whatever cafe and interesting how much we care about the lives of people that could care less about your life or maybe it's binging on politics so 24 7 you're just listening to stuff about politics and watching stuff and reading stuff and again you'll never actually have influence over any of that beyond your vote. Maybe you need God to expand your vision of him and his power. Maybe you need a revelation that he alone rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. Maybe you need to understand that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. God alone sits on the throne. So when you came in today, hopefully you received... A, uh, a little sheet of paper that has a picture of a golden calf. That's a golden calf. That's not a cow. Don't have a cow, man. Child of the 80s, right? I want you to grab that piece of paper with that golden calf on it. And if you grab a pen from in front of you, and I want to give you a moment just to answer the question, What is the idol in your life? Maybe for you, it's not power. Like, you're like, seriously, Ken, like, that's not a deal for me, and I, that's cool. But is there something else that is an idol in your life? I asked a few questions last week, and if you were here, I'm just gonna ask them again, but can you name an idol in your life? Here's some questions. What do you daydream about? I was joking with Carrie that she would put Ken for the answer of all these. What do you daydream about? What worries you, Ken? <laughs> no. What scares you? What makes you angry? What racks you with guilt that you can't move past? What do you, where do you spend your money or dream of spending your money? These are really important questions because they're going to help us get to the heart of what is the idol in your life? Because God alone must sit on the throne. What is the idol in your life? See, here's I, I love in this story the mercy of God toward Nebuchadnezzar. You know, God could have moved Nebuchadnezzar out of the picture anytime he wanted. You think about the mercy of Nebuchadnezzar that he gave in the dream got an interpretation of dreams, still didn't change him. Gave him another dream, got an interpretation of dreams, still didn't change him. Let him be insane for seven years, brought him back to a right mind. The mercy of God because he wanted Nebuchadnezzar to get it. And here's the thing, he wants you to get it. Not Not just an intellectual thing, not just an emotional experience, but he wants you to truly get that God alone must sit on the throne. So what else are you allowing in the throne of your life? Are you asking God to squeeze over, hey, hey buddy, can you make a little room for this, for this person, for this activity, for this deal? Idols can be good and decent things, but when we make a good or decent thing supreme in our life, it becomes an idol. So if you've written something, maybe you gotta write it super small because you have prying eyes around you that are gonna be trying to cheat. Once you, once you write it, you can fold it or turn it over so no one else can see. I'm going to pray over you in a moment. We're going to give you an opportunity to all across the front of this room, we have paper shredders. We're going to invite you to come and this is going to be a spiritual moment. In fact, first service. It's crazy as these shredders are all going. That this is a spiritual moment of saying, God, I want to declare that you alone would sit in the throne of my life. Now, can I tell you this, this isn't, this in and of itself is not gonna change everything. Just like an interpretation of a dream did change everything for Nebuchadnezzar, but it's a starting point. It's a starting point that when you go on through this, I had a lady in the first service who said, you know what, I got out of the sanctuary and into the lobby, and she goes, and this thing, I started worrying about it again. She goes, I had just shredded. And already five minutes later, I'm worrying about it. And I, I said, that's how we are, right? This would just be a step of saying, you know what? This is an act of saying God alone must sit on the throne of my life. And when this comes to my mind, that God would bring that sound of shredding. And it would be a reminder. So Father, I pray for every person in this room. God, I pray for the ones who have been following you for the years and the ones who have just started our journey of following you. I pray for those in this room that haven't yet come to a place of putting Jesus in the throne of their life. Or maybe it's been a long time God, I pray this would be a holy moment this morning of us saying, God, I want you and you alone, you exclusively, I want to sit in the throne of my life. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you feel led to come, we're not making everyone to do this. You're not being forced to do this. But if you want to come and shred your piece of paper just as a symbol, you're welcome to do that most high rules over the nations of the world and he gives them to anyone that he chooses you know that can actually be a freeing thought that can bring freedom that can just take the load off of your shoulders to recognize there's only so much that I can do I'm going to be faithful to do what I've been tasked to do and then I'm going to recognize that the most high He rules over the nations of the world. He rules over the classrooms of the world, the workplaces of the world, the families, the homes, the neighborhoods, the communities. He rules over it all. And despite what sometimes you see with your eyes and what you hear with your ears, he is still in charge. He is still sovereign. He still knows what he's doing. And we can trust him but he wants to be first god alone sits on the throne so father we ask for your empowerment we don't pretend to think that this moment has changed everything we know it's a step in the journey So we invite you and welcome you, Holy Spirit, in the moments where we are worrying about that thing again or we're putting it front of mind again or we're... God, I pray that we would hear the sound of a shredder and that we would commit one more time that you alone would sit on our throne. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So before you get up, before you leave, as you leave, out in the lobby are some wristbands, and they say no other gods on them, and keep the main thing the main thing. This is just a physical reminder that you can put on your wrist for the next week or for the next month, or some of you guys wear these things out. I love it. Uh, it's just, a, just there to remind you, hey, I shredded that thing. Hey, uh, God alone is sitting on the throne, right? So I wanted to let you know about that. If you came in the room with something in your heart that you need prayer for, we have prayer partners that are going to come forward. In fact, our prayer partners, if you guys want to come up now, as everybody else is leaving, we'd love for you to come up and request prayer. Maybe you need to start a relationship with Jesus, and God has been convicting you through the service. As everybody else is leaving, come and just tell them, hey, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? And then finally, uh, we have some good-looking people, hopefully back there. Is it just usual? You need, you need, there we go. We got some other folks helping uh, with the white buckets. Make sure you take those connection cards and stick those in the white buckets as you leave. Next week, we're going to look at another case study from the Old Testament to help us understand that God alone will sit on the throne. We'll see you guys later. Have a great week.